Brandon Williams, Haas to his family, was a 33-year-old from Ephraim, Utah. He had lived in such wide-ranging places as the Hamptons and California. On May 17, 2013, he got on a bus in Salt Lake City, heading back to where he lived in Key West, Florida. On May 18th, he made a call to a friend saying he was in Nashville. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. going? I'm serious. Right now, where are you headed? To work? To school? Home? To yoga? To the emergency room? You all know where you're going, and you're pretty sure you're going to get there. Even though riding in a car, just traveling in general is the most dangerous thing we do every day. Frankly, our odds of living longer would get better if we never left the house. But we don't sit at home. We have things to do. There are places we want to see, experiences we want to have. In fact, without them, life wouldn't be worth living. We even have that saying that half the fun is getting there, meaning the trip, not the destination, is sometimes the reason we leave the safety of home. Brandon Williams' life and disappearance caused me to think about this idea of travel and safety. Here was a guy who lived everywhere from Key West, California, From the Hamptons to Salt Lake City, two places that couldn't be less alike, and seemingly did it without any fear. Meanwhile, we know many people who never moved more than five miles from where they grew up. Yet it was this desire to travel and live in other places, meet new people, experience new things, that might have caused Brandon's disappearance. Or was it something else? Was it something that had nothing to do with travel at all? And now a summary of the case. Brandon left Salt Lake City, Utah on Friday, May 17, 2013 on a Greyhound bus carrying only $150. He was on his way back to Key West, Florida after serving two months on a decade-old drug paraphernalia charge. He had been pulled over in Florida earlier that year, and that's when the outstanding warrant was discovered. The last contact Brandon had with anyone was on May 18th from Nashville, Tennessee. He had contacted his boyfriend in Key West using someone's cell phone due to Brandon's cell phone being left in Florida when he got extradited. His wallet had also been left in Key West. Brandon was due to arrive in Key West on Monday, May 20th. The bus came and went. He was not on it and has not made contact with anyone since that May 18th, 2013 call. There have been several factors complicating the investigation. First and foremost being that no one is sure whether Brandon vanished in Nashville or Key West or somewhere in between. The missing persons report was eventually filed in Nashville. In addition, Brandon has a history of drug abuse along with an epileptic condition that could cause him to have seizures, leaving him unaware of his surroundings. Adding to the complexity of this case are the actions and statements by Brandon's Key West boyfriend at the time, Charles, who was supposed to pick up Brandon at the bus station. The interview for this episode is with Brandon's sister, Stormy. Brandon's mother will also make a statement during the interview portion of this episode. 
Unfound News. How did all of you like the surprise episode with Detective Kenneth Maines? What a great guy. I hope my guests and I can use him as a resource as we try to solve the cases covered on Unfound. We need more independent eyes looking at these cases. Once police departments start realizing this, I believe more disappearance and murder cases are going to get solved. Law enforcement has to get past their protectionism and this defending their turf mentality. Solving cases isn't about ego. It's about justice. The interview transcribers got their assignments and files this past week. Next to some independent films I did in the early 2000s, this book is definitely the most ambitious project I've attempted. But I think it's going to come together really well, and the number of listeners, essentially complete strangers, who have offered to help out is amazing. My plan is to have a special discount for Unfound Discussion Group members on Facebook. So if you're not a member right now, I'd get over there and join. Finally, I plan on giving the Unfound Amateur Sleuth meetup another shot, but it's going to have to wait until after the book is finished. There are only so many days and hours in a week. Where you can find Unfound? On Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, at unfoundpodcast. Yes, we're now on YouTube. Do a search for the Unfound Podcast channel. On Facebook, the Unfound Podcast discussion group, almost 1,000 members now. And I can remember when we had only like 60. You can subscribe to Unfound at Podomatic and iTunes. And if you're new to the program and like it, give it a five-star review. And please mention Unfound to all your friends and neighbors, along with spreading the word on WebSleuth, Reddit, podcasts we listen to, and all other true crime websites and forums. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the sister of Brandon Williams, Stormy Dorsey. Stormy, welcome to Unfound. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome, Stormy. Tell the listeners a little bit about your brother, Brandon. Um, My brother, Brandon, um, I... He's eight years older than me, and we were always super close growing up because my other brother is 10 years older than me, and he was always more out of the house, so it was always me and Hoss, and that's what I call him as Hoss um, from the Panda, uh, Ponderosa is where he got his nickname from when he was little. He was chubby and bald, and um, he he was my best friend growing up. We would stay up and talk and just um I, I remember like gazing at the stars with him and he always made me laugh and he would call me when he lived in California or New York or Florida and just see how I was doing make me laugh if I was having a hard time tease me like an older brother should tease their younger sister so would you say that he was uh, protective of you? He's eight years older. So you, when you were 12, he was 20. Was he looking out yeah. for you? Yes, for sure. Like if anyone messed with me, him and my older brother were right there. Very protective. It, it, as a sister, it's nice to have a couple older brothers like that, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. What's maybe a childhood memory, maybe a specific childhood memory that pops into your mind when you think of your brother now? 
like a time maybe on a vacation or you know something like that anything that pops in your mind he all I can really think about right now is the last time I saw him it wasn't a childhood memory but the last time he came to visit was back in 2011 after our grandpa died and he was sitting next to me on the couch and he was picked up like no time had left and was teasing me like no other and I uh, smacked him on the arm and he yelled mom stormy mom stormy just hit me and it was like we were children again he just picked right back up like we hadn't been apart for six years and that would have been like when he was in his early, his late 20s or something like that right yeah yeah okay and but so, but uh, Brandon had a little bit of a, a tough, tough uh, growing up. He had been attacked by a dog when he was a kid. Can you tell listeners a little bit about yeah. that? Yes, when he was about three, four. When he was about four years old, he was visiting his dad with my with our other brother, and he went to go pet a pit bull, and the pit bull grabbed a hold of his face and ripped off his upper lip, uh, ripped off his ear, and bit his uh, skull so he has uh, they had to reattach his ear and he went through multiple re um reconstruction surgeries for his upper lip and so he has a very noticeable upper lip scarring and if he has a shaved head you can see bite marks still and so he's he's terrified of certain dogs Especially dogs he doesn't know. Did he have any lasting effects from that after that happened when he was four years old? Yes, he he developed uh, epilepsy, so where he had grand mal seizures. And were those could those be brought on for any reason? Did they pop up randomly, or were they brought on by stress? Were they brought on by anything else that? that he might have been doing in his life? Are they completely random? Uh, uh, they they were brought on by stress, not sleeping, like he should. Um, drugs, alcohol, any of those things could cause an episode of a seizure. And the listeners should know this is going to be important uh, to this case uh, a, a little bit later, but what would somebody experience if they were to see Brandon have one of these seizures? And, and what did he, could he tell you about them uh, after he had one? So when he has a grand mal seizure, um, he loses all control of his body and he, and he starts shaking and he will foam at the mouth and he's incoherent. And you just have to make sure that he's away from anything that could hurt him as he's um, convulsing. And then when he wakes up, he's very uh, unaware of what just happened. And if someone tries to touch him or anything like that, he becomes combative because he doesn't know that they're there to help him. He thinks that they're there to hurt him. And so you have to, you have to be understanding of that. And I remember one time he had one and my mom called the ambulance and the ambulance had to come and he woke up and they just followed him and just let him walk and the ambulance drove behind him for a good 15 minutes until he became coherent okay i've never 
experienced somebody having a, an epileptic seizure in my presence. But what you described there is what I've heard about them from before. And I'm sure some of the listeners, maybe they themselves have had seizures, have seen somebody uh, have one. So maybe they're more familiar with it than I am. Let's move on to um, Brandon uh, becoming an adult. Now, he got in some trouble at some point in Utah. And this is kind of how this whole thing with him going to Key West and then coming back to Utah all got started. Uh, what can you tell the listeners about the the charge that was brought against him originally in Utah that he eventually had to go back to Utah for? Um, he, had, he had been in and out of trouble just throughout his teenage years and stuff and, and in his early uh, 20s. And he got arrested for possession of, of marijuana and meth and uh, possession of a controlled substance. And and he had a fine and everything. And they re, um, he's, he ended up leaving Utah because if he stayed in Utah, he just kept getting in trouble. He could never start over because his friends were in that lifestyle and everything. So he moved to California. And he ended up finding out that there was a warrant for his arrest for possession, but he never came back because he he just wanted a fresh start. And he lived for years with that. And and we knew about it. And then he was driving in Florida. His his most recent uh, living address was in Key West, Florida. And he was driving and he was pulled over and they ran his name and they found out that he had a warrant out of Utah for this controlled substance and they extradited him back to Utah. Do you remember what year it was? Just approximately was this 10 years ago that these charges were brought against him 15 years ago? Can you say? Yeah, it was probably about 12 years ago. All right, and he well, dis- and he disappeared in 2013. So yeah. that would have been about eight years between those charges being brought, and then him finally being pulled over in Key West, and them seeing that he had a, a warrant for his arrest. Yes. Okay. Great. So that's how he ended up being. Uh, and we even talked about this before. Is it seems like after eight years that to extradite somebody the whole way from Florida back to Utah seems very petty. Yeah, especially for just possession of a controlled substance. It wasn't like he it wasn't like he was um it wasn't a, a violent yeah, it wasn't a violent yeah. crime either. Yeah. And even when he went back, he only spent a, what, 6 weeks in jail or 8 weeks, something not very long. Yeah, he was booked in the Utah County Jail on March 5th, and he was released May 14th of so he 2013. Spent, so he was eight years. He's out on this warrant for his arrest. The state of Utah finds him, I guess, or the state of Florida found him, sent him the whole way back to Utah to serve two months. Yes. That's crazy. Uh, I believe that criminals should pay for their crimes and everything but even i can say that sounds a little bit outrageous for um, me like i think that 
if anything, they should have just had him serve his sentence in Florida if they were really concerned about it. I think that's possible. Maybe that is possible. I don't know the intricacies of that, but you may bring up a good point there, Stormy. Now, we want to talk about a couple people, and we're just going to talk about them in general terms because these are two names that are going to come up from now on. Please tell the listeners about – we're not going to use last names. Please tell the okay. listeners about Spencer. Who was he? How did he know Brandon? What what kind of relationship did they have? Please tell the listeners about that. Spencer was my brother's partner. Um, my brother is gay, and Spencer was his partner for quite a few years. And then they just um, they separated on good terms. And Spencer bought him a bus ticket and gave him money and told him he could start fresh anywhere. And my brother chose Key West, Florida. And they stayed in contact because Spencer had their dog, Hampton, who um, who my brother just adored that dog. And so my brother was still best friends with his ex, and they would talk once a week. How did uh, he and Spencer meet, and how long were they together? Do you know? Uh, I know that they met in California, and they met on the beach. And and they just hit it off, and they became friends, and then they started dating. And, and then when Spencer's job took him to New York, my brother moved with him to New York. Do you think that he and Spencer had a good relationship? It, it seems that if Spencer moved from one coast to the other and, and Brandon went along, they must have been very close. Yeah, they were really close. Even after they broke up, they were close. And how long um, did they break up before Brandon disappeared? Not to know. Uh, at least a year or two. Okay. I feel like my brother had been in Key West for at least a year before he disappeared. And so it was Spencer who actually, when they broke up, Brandon says, or Spencer says, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Brandon comes up with this idea of going to Key West. And that is how Brandon ended up in Key West in the first place. Did Brandon know anybody, to your knowledge, did he know anybody in Key West before he moved down there? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, so he went down there. He was just going to start a new life down there doing something. Yeah. Okay. And who is Charles? Once again, just in general terms, we're going to talk a lot about him later. But Charles, who is Charles? Charles was what we were told my brother's roommate when he was in Key West. And that's that's the only thing that we were really told about him. So before uh, Brandon disappeared, you didn't know much about Charles. You, of course, learned a lot about him since. But in yeah. that time after Brandon goes to Key West, did Brandon mention Charles much when you talked to him on the phone? What did he say? No, he never brought up Charles to me. He never really brought up any friends besides a friend named Jacob out in Key West. To me. So he's in Key West. He gets pulled over. Do you know why he got pulled over in Key West? It had, it had to do with a traffic violation 
operating a vehicle without insurance. So I think maybe like he didn't have a blinker on or something. He got pulled over and then they found out that he was driving without insurance. And it's also when they found out that Utah was looking for him for his warrant. Was that his car? Was it Charles's car? Whose car was he driving? I'm not sure. My guess would be Charles's. So it was technically Charles who didn't have insurance on his own car. Since it wasn't Brandon's car, he's not the one that's required to have insurance on it. Yeah, that would be my guess. Now let's get back to how this disappearance started. So he's back in Utah for the reason of this warrant. He's been there from early March until like the middle of May. Did you have a chance to talk to him, being that he was now back in Utah where you are now? What did he have to say? What kind of conversations did you have with him? Did you see him while he was back in Utah? No, we didn't see him because we live about, I live about two hours south from where he was. And all I saw was his Facebook post that he got out of jail. And and I wrote him, but he never responded to me because he was getting on a Greyhound bus. So in those two months, you never had the occasion to to drive up there and maybe see him in jail, or did just, did he not? Was that would have been a little awkward for you, or what was going on at the time? One, I didn't have a car to get up there, mm-hmm. and two, my brother always hated me visiting him in jail. He didn't like me seeing him like that. Did you know that he was going to be getting out of jail on the date uh, that he did? No, I did not. I was actually planning on writing him a letter. I didn't know that he was in jail until like end of April. And I was getting ready to write him a letter. And then life got busy with finals and everything. And I just never got around to it. And then he was released. And that's a a threat. Okay. Did you know that he was planning to head back to Key West? Uh, based off of his Facebook thing, yes. He he said he couldn't wait to get out of Utah and back home. So it was all intense. He was very energetic about getting back to, I guess, to Ch- Key West, to Charles, yes. to beautiful South, South Florida, Key West, kind of an exotic area of the United States. Uh, and I've, yes. I happen to live in Florida, and I've still never been to Key West yet. So I completely can completely understand um, why he'd want to go back down there, especially since his time would be served and he wouldn't have this warrant hanging over his head anymore. Yeah. How did he, uh, how did he pay for this trip back to, uh, he was going to take a bus. How did he get the money to go back? From what I was told is that the Mormon church paid for his bus ticket and then Spencer sent him $50 through Western Union. And from what I was told, Charles sent him $100 through Western Union for food, drinks, etc. until he arrived in Key West. So Charles, let me just ask you this. Were Charles and Brandon a couple, do you believe? Were they more than just roommates? Yes, I do. But Charles was adamant in, when he, he first talked to us that he was just... Brandon's roommate. 
And Charles, we should say, is not a poor guy. Are you surprised maybe that he just, if he cared about Brandon, he just didn't buy him a ticket being he's in jail, doesn't have any income. He didn't just didn't get a ticket, buy a ticket for Brandon to go back to Florida? Yeah, I, I find that a little weird. Okay. Especially so, since they sent him $100. So tell the listeners what you know about this bus trip. Okay, from my research, I I know I, I I found out that my brother left Salt Lake City on Friday, May seventeenth. He the last known contact that people had with him was Saturday morning. He was in St. Louis and he contacted Spencer. And then that night, Charles told us that he, uh, he had contacted him and he was in Nashville. He was due to arrive on May. 20th in Key West, Florida, but he was ne- he never arrived. And did Ch- when did Charles tell you at the time on May 18th that that Brandon had called him, or did he not tell you that until after Brandon already disappeared? He told us that after Brandon had already disappeared. All Charles right. didn't even tell us notify us that my brother was missing. He contacted Spencer, and Spencer's the one that contacted us. And that was my brother was supposed to arrive on Monday morning, and Charles contacted Spencer that Friday. So, like four or five days later. Yes. All right, we're gonna get back. We're gonna get into that in a moment too. Here's something that the listeners need that, are, that is important to understand. When Brandon was captured, I guess you could say, here in Florida and sent back to Utah. Was he allowed to take his phone with him? Was he allowed to take his wallet with him? No, he was not allowed to take any of his belongings. And Charles actually picked them up from the Florida jail before my brother was extradited to Utah. So while Brandon was in Utah serving his time, he didn't have he didn't have any money, didn't have his wallet, didn't have ID, didn't have a phone, uh nothing. So that is correct. Okay, so he's headed back to Florida on this Greyhound bus. Do you have any idea how he ended up if he did, I mean he called Spencer as well. Do you have any idea how he might have made these calls? Any ideas? Um the detective that is now over our case said that he found out that my brother had used someone's cell phone. But we don't know who that person might be. No. But from what the detective did tell me, it was somebody with a New York phone number. Okay. So somebody might have been on the bus. Somebody might have been on a bus station. If he was, in fact, in Nashville, maybe took a walk down the street to a restaurant. There's somebody from New York in there. He asked to borrow the phone, and he calls Charles or he calls Spencer. It's a possibility. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to what you said about um, how did you and your family find out that Brandon didn't reach Key West? We found out through Spencer. Spencer called us on Friday morning and he called my mom first and said I just wanted to let you know that Brandon's 
roommate just contacted me and he was supposed to arrive in Florida on Monday, but he never arrived. Just thought you should know. And so Spencer gave us Charles's information and my mom called Charles and Charles told us all of that. And he said, the reason why he didn't tell us sooner is because he thought maybe my brother got on the wrong bus and that he was delayed and that he would come, but he never showed up is what Charles had told us. Did Charles have your phone number? Could he have called you directly, you or your mother or somebody in your family directly instead of calling Spencer? He had my brother's cell phone, so he had access to all of our numbers. But he chose to uh, call Spencer instead. Do you remember how Spencer felt at the time about Brandon not arriving in Key West? Do you remember talking to him about this? Because he obviously cared for Brandon quite a bit. Yeah, he was concerned. And he talked to us about how we needed to file a missing persons report. And that he tried to call Greyhound himself, but they wouldn't give him any information because he was not family or a police officer. Yeah, that's the way that usually goes. So what did you do? Being that he made that recommendation, what did you end up doing? What did you do? What did your family do regarding this and uh, the police and filing a missing persons report? Tell the listeners all about that. Yeah. Um, we we were trying to figure out where to file the missing persons report. So my mom called Florida and Florida said, you can't file it here because he didn't disappear here. And then so we got thrown back and forth and we were finally told by I believe it was Atlanta or Nashville one of those they told us that we needed to file it with our local police agency and so we went that Friday afternoon and I went and filed the missing persons report for my brother where at in Utah Ephraim which is where you live, which is about two yes. two hours south of Salt Lake City. Yes. Now, there was some confusion uh, about, because ultimately this missing persons report, you filed it in, in Nashville once, of course, Charles told you about Brandon calling from Nashville, but you were first looking in the Atlanta area. Tell the listeners maybe a little bit how that confusion happened. Yes, uh, we we actually focused our search for Atlanta, Georgia for two years, two and a half years, because um, my mom was led to believe by the police officer here that it was over our case that he had talked to Greyhound and the Greyhound had told him that my brother had made it to Atlanta, Georgia. And so we focused on that and and everything like that. And then the officer here didn't really want to do anything more to help us look for my brother because he said my brother was old enough that he just probably wanted to disappear and that we should just let him go on with his life and when he wanted to be found he would be found and that happens quite a bit when people found missing persons report because if it is somebody who's 18 or 20 25 and in your brother's case in his into his 30s there's nothing illegal about an adult just deciding he's just going to pick up and go somewhere. 
but then your focus changed from Atlanta to Nashville. Why was that? It was because there was this John Doe for, uh, that appeared on Namus, and this John Doe had some characteristics resembling my brother. And so I contacted the caseworker for that John Doe, and she sent a DNA kit to have mine and my mom's DNA taken to be tested against this John Doe. And in the process, she was looking, and she she said, oh, like, you should be in my region, my case. And so she took over our case, and then as she was looking at it, she said, I think that you need to focus on Nashville because that's the last place you really know that he talked to someone. And so she contacted someone she knew in Nashville and a police officer, a detective, and he agreed to take on our case. And so he spent about a month trying to get a hold of the officer here to transfer the case. And when he did finally um, get the get it transferred, he talked to the officer that had originally done it, and he said that he had never actually talked to Greyhound and that he didn't know where we got that information from. Uh, that had to be distressing. It was distressing because that meant two and a half years of our focus being in Atlanta, Georgia was for nothing. Wow. And I think that being that this uh, woman did help you out, you maybe should uh, mention her. Who, wa who was it? Maybe just use her first name. And what organization uh, was she working for in, in helping you with this? Okay, so her name's Amy. And she works for NAMIS. And it's a, it's a national database for missing unidentified individuals. And she really helped you out in this, didn't she? Yes, she did. She, she has become our advocate. She, she's, and she's, she took over and she fought for us and she gave us like a light that had pretty much burned out. She gave us that flicker of hope again. And how, and how recently uh, did that happen for you? When did that happen? Do you remember? It was about two years ago. Okay. So for two and a half years, you were on the wrong path, and then it was Amy from NamUs who kind of put you has put you on the right path. Yes. All right, that's great to hear. Good, good for NamUs, and good for Amy for helping you out like that. I need to yes, ask you, I should, please. I should say that the John Doe was clearly not my brother, since we are looking for him. Of course. Still. Okay. Uh, so the the case is now with the Nashville uh, Police Department. Have have they made any inroads into anything? Any signs that your brother disappeared there? That anybody saw him? Anything? No. They they um he he put my brother on the news. He put um ads in the paper, the news station papers, and he's. The detective said that usually they get at least one phone call regarding the case of a missing person. And in this case, they got zero tips, zero calls. Uh, how do you feel about that? 
what does that make you think? Does that make you think that, that your brother just vanished into thin air in Nashville? Or do you think there might be another possibility? I personally think that there's another possibility. All right. We're going to get to that in a moment. I, I need to ask you a couple questions about uh, the Greyhound bus system. Going back to okay. uh, Brandon not having his wallet, not having, as far as we know, any form of ID. Do you have any idea how he ended up being able to get on a Greyhound bus? I mean, obviously he had a ticket, the Mormon church uh, bought him the ticket, but can you get on an, a Greyhound bus without a, an ID? I have no idea. I've never ridden Greyhound before. And have you I have you talked to them since he disappeared? I know you, you Stormy, I know you've collected a lot of information and I've been so impressed by what you've done. Um but it, you still don't know about that. That's that seems I think most people would be surprised by that. Yeah, and my mom tried to talk to Greyhound, but they wouldn't give her any information because they said that she wasn't a police officer. And because my brother is of age, they they couldn't release any of his information. So Greyhound itself could not tell you whether he, he got it to Nashville, whether he got to Atlanta, and they couldn't even tell you whether he was on the bus uh, when it eventually got to Key West. That information That's you right. weren't able to get was the police were the police able to get any of that? Uh, the officer that took our case at the beginning we thought he had and we thought that it was atlanta georgia but apparently we were wrong and our current detective we haven't heard from him if he was able to find out because i know that certain organizations certain businesses only have to keep their records for so long and then they erase them so i don't know if they still had my brother's information and it's uh been his disappearance has happened over a little over four years ago now uh, yes hopefully greyhound hopefully the detective can run that information down because i think that that would certainly help out figure out where brandon you know disappeared whether it was nashville or key west or somewhere in between yes because I know that when he called Spencer, Spencer did tell me that he talked to him and that he was really nervous about his layover in that was coming up. I think it was in Miami because it was a really long layover. And he was nervous because it was supposed to be in a sketchy area. So we, there are some possibilities about what might have happened uh, to Brandon. It could have been in Nashville. He gets there. Maybe go. You know, there's going to be a layover there. Maybe he goes for a walk. Maybe something happens to him. Um, yeah. Earlier in this conversation, you mentioned him. He, he and his seizures. Maybe he had an epileptic seizure. Something happened, and he just hasn't. You know, he doesn't have any ID on him. So you know you might be you might not be able to identify him you just you just don't know there are a lot of possibilities especially when somebody is riding a bus across the united states yes but we have to also i think look at the idea that maybe maybe he did get to key west and let's talk about charles 
a little bit more. And I want you to remind the listeners again. Tell them about how Brandon was supposed to get there on May 20th, but Charles didn't let anybody know that Brandon didn't get there till when? Uh, That following Friday. So four or five days uh, after Brandon was supposed to have got there. What kind of, after Brandon disappeared, what kind of relationship did you have with Charles? Was he talking to you? Was he contacting you? Was he staying in touch trying to find out about Brandon? What, what, what were the kind of conversations you had with him in those days and weeks after Brandon disappeared? Uh, he was very hands-on. He talked to me pretty much almost every day, either through a messenger on Facebook or text or through phone conversations. And he also was on the phone a lot with my mom. And those conversations were somewhat cordial, and um, he said he was praying for uh, Brandon. And how long did this era of good feeling go on after Brandon disappeared? Probably about a month or two. And when? why do you think it started to change? Because I know it did. We've, we've had a Robert Cryer conversation about this. At some point, he started to get a little bit more distant. Yes. There And there's this issue of tell the listeners a little bit about Brandon's things and what Charles said he was going to do and what really happened. So my mom had contacted him because, one, we um, – my mom wanted his stuff, like his ID – and his birth certificate, any of his personal information, she wanted it shipped back to her. So we had it. And he said that, uh, that he would send it, but he never did. And then when the John Doe case came up, we, my mom contacted him again to ask for anything that he had for my, of my brothers that contained my brother's DNA on it. Because Charles said he had packed up all of my brother's stuff and left it exactly how he had left it. So we wanted any DNA, too. And Charles said that he would send it, but he never did. And so over, just to be clear for the listeners, over four, and it's been over four years since Brandon disappeared. Has Charles ever sent you even one thing of Brandon's? No, he has not. Zero. Not, his, not Brandon's phone. Not his wallet, not any of his clothes, nothing. Nothing. Even though he said right after Brandon disappeared that he was going to. Yes. Has he ever given you any reason for that? Why he never did it? He always just said he was busy or out of town on business. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's retired, so I don't know. Right. He, you, the the listeners should know that Charles uh, is in his seventies, right? Yes, that that's my guess. He's in his seventies. Yeah, I've seen we we you've seen pictures of him. I've seen pictures of him. We're not going to use his last name, but I would say that he's in his seventies now. What kind of uh, relationship did Charles and Brandon have? Well, what Charles told us, it was just a roommate situation. But come to find out, 
through some investigation and Detective jo- Detective Jolly talking to somebody, we come to find out that my brother was known as Charles Play Placing. And in fact, the reason you know that is because those are the exact words that Charles used when talking about Brandon to, to this person. To this person. But what did you come to find out about Charles is that he actually had a serious relationship with somebody else. Yes, and that's how we found that out through the same person that told the detective that my brother was a plaything on the side. How do you feel when when you hear that somebody just calls your brother a plaything? It makes me sick to my stomach. That's like disgraceful. He's a human. He has emotions. Like it's dehumanizing. It's like my brother was property. Yeah. I I agree, Stormy. So on one hand he's saying that he's praying that Brandon's gonna be found, but then when the detective talks to him he he uses kind of a derogatory comment to refer to Brandon. Um that was his friend that told the detective that Haas was Charles's plaything. To your knowledge, did Charles communicate with Brandon once Brandon got sent back to Utah to service time for those couple months? Yes. From what Charles told me, he had written my brother multiple times while he was in jail. And have you or your mother or a detective or anybody, if he did send those letters to Brandon, uh, has anybody ever seen them? Have you, does the, the jail that uh, Brandon was at, do they remember ever getting any letters from somebody in Florida that were addressed to Brandon in jail? Uh, we've never seen them. And we, I, I've never talked to Utah County Jail. And I don't think my mom did either because we were so focused on trying to find out the last place he was that we didn't even think to contact them to see if anybody had written him. Okay. And there's one more thing about Charles. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about Brandon's Facebook account and how it relates to Charles. Um, after my brother disappeared, um, I, I would get notifications from my friends saying, hey, I just saw your brother on Facebook. I'd be like, what? And so I would write. And then I found his one friend, Jacob, and I wrote him and I said, hey, like, have you seen my brother? He was supposed to get there. And his friend wrote me and said, why don't you guys leave me alone? And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, someone was on a ho- on his Facebook saying that he was his dad and he was wanting to know if I knew where he was. And he was very rude to me. I said, it was not his dad. His dad lives in Utah. And his dad did not have his phone. So Charles was, and then I confronted Charles about it. And he admitted that he had been contacting people saying that he was my brother's dad. 
Why was he doing that? He said he was trying to find information on where my brother was. Did you happen to see, see you did happen to see some of these conversations? Does does that look like what it was do, like like what he was doing? I I personally never got to see any of the messages because I didn't have my brother's Facebook password. But this friend Jacob, who Brandon got to know, he seemed to think that whoever, if it was Brandon or Brandon's dad, wasn't behave, acting very nicely. Yeah. How long was this after Brandon disappeared that, that uh, Charles was caught using Brandon's account? Probably, probably a week after we found out. And then my brother's Facebook went silent. And has never been used again. No. Wow. Do you, um, once again, was that? Uh, do you know if that Facebook account was being accessed from a regular computer or from a phone? It was being accessed from a cell phone. And so it was probably Brandon's cell phone. Did he have like an Android phone or an iPhone, something like that, where you could? Have he a, had an iPhone. He had an iPhone with the Facebook app on it. And so you wouldn't even have to know the password. It would probably already be logged in. Yes. And 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 this is a phone that to this day, Charles has not sent back to you. No, because Charles said he's the one that bought the phone for my brother. Hmm. Okay. But he hasn't shipped, uh, but he, but he hasn't shipped um, Brandon's wallet either. No. What can you tell? Uh, there's something else. Of course, your mother, who is going to make uh, an appearance uh, on this episode uh, uh, in, in a little bit. But she discovered something else uh, regarding the police department in Key West and how it relates to Charles. Uh, what did she find out? If you could pass along what your mother found out about this. She she talked to Charles and she was saying that she was going to file a report in Florida as well. And he says, you don't have to do that. I already have that covered. My best friend is the chief of police. And to your knowledge, as far as you've been able to tell Stormy, and I know you know how to do this, has any missing police report or any kind of report been filed in Key West, Florida, regarding the disappearance of your brother? Not that I'm aware of. What do you think when you hear that, you know, Charles might be best friends with the chief of police? We don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said. What do you think about that? It just makes me wonder. Yeah. Makes me, makes me wonder, too. One more thing uh, regarding another person who knew Brandon, who knows Charles. And we're not going to say this guy's last name, but his first name is Tom. Tell the listeners about what you saw him say about Brandon. Yes. Um, Tom, we have a Facebook page. And he he made a comment on our Facebook page back in... 2015 and he said he doesn't want to be found believe me and then I responded 
my cousin responded and said, why do you say that? Do you know him personally? And then I responded and we had a conversation back and forth and my uncle and my aunt jumped in and talking and he got mad and he told us, take me off your list. And my uncle said, you're the one that joined the conversation with your comment. And um, anyway, so I sent that to the detective and the detective contacted him. And um, and the the detective doesn't believe that Tom has anything to do with my brother's disappearance. And this is your detective who, once again, this Detective Jolly, who is not in Key West or even in Florida. He's actually a detective in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. So he, it's not like he can just drive right down the street and look. And if he wants to interview Charles, can look him in the eye or can go find this Tom guy and look him in the eye. I mean, Nashville, yeah. Tennessee is nowhere near Key West, Florida. Yeah. And the detective wrote me and told me what him and this Tom talked about. And this is when we found out that Charles had a partner 25 years, but often kept company with younger men. He referred, referred to as playthings. Right. And that, and that we also found out at this point that Tom said that my brother was his roommate and not Charles's. And so we had, uh, conflicting statements right there because Charles was very adamant that he was his roommate. But then this Tom is telling us that my brother lived on his boat for the, for the, for five months leading up to his arrest. Is it possible that they were all just living together or possible? possibly, but I remember one of the conversations that Charles had with me that he said he had to go pack up my brother's belongings from the place that he had been staying. Right. And why would he say that unless he was already living with Brandon in the first place? Yes. And of course, as we know, that Brandon or Charles had a, a serious relationship going on with somebody else, allegedly. And we don't know who this other person is. No, we do not. Okay. Could it be Tom? It could be, and we just don't know. All right. Now, this is interesting that Tom said that. Is this the first time you had ever heard of this Tom character? Had uh, Spencer ever mentioned him? Had Brandon ever mentioned him? Was that the first time you ever heard about Tom? Yeah, it was the first time I'd ever heard about Tom. I didn't even know who he was until he commented on our fine Brandon Williams Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And I clicked on his picture, and that's when I knew, found out that he knew my brother and Charles, because it said mutual friends. Now, what I find interesting about that is that how would he know that, you know, Brandon said he was going to disappear so nobody can find him? Because there's, to our knowledge, there's no record that Brandon ever talked to Tom once Brandon left Florida. Yeah. He said that he had talked to my brother while he was living with him, and that he said that he, that my brother had no remorse or concern for my fam, for our family, and that he didn't care about do you, us. Do you believe that? No, I do not. I know that if my brother was mad, he might have said something like, "Man, I can't stand my family," but it's more in an anger. But ever since I was young, 
he always stayed in contact with me. Always. Mm-hmm. And during his uh, disappearance, during this time, we've lost two of our aunts unexpectedly. And they were women that he was super close to that he had lived with in the past when he was trying to get his life together. And I wrote on his Facebook, I reached out to anybody that would have known that could know where he was to tell that, to tell him that our aunt had passed away and still nothing. It was silence. Now I need to ask you this um, because I'm sure that some of the listeners are, are, are going to wonder. And I, I just have to ask you, did while he was in jail in Utah, did any of your family members go to see him? How many no. family did did how many family members live in the vicinity in the first place? Maybe I need to establish that. So my mom and I live probably about an hour and a half away from where he was, mm-hmm. and we've already established that he didn't like me seeing him in jail, and my mom was having health problems at the time. And so she taking that trip up there is really hard on her being in the car for that long. And it still is really hard for her to be in that car that long. And his, his, his biological dad lives up probably three hours from where he was. He saw his, one is one of his brothers when he got out of jail. Um, and he spent some time with his brothers for a day, but before he went before family. he before he went back to Florida. Yeah, those are the only family members that I know of. He did have some contact with our brother as well. And what do, what do these people remember about uh, Brandon's demeanor? Uh, his brother um, Isaac said that. He was, he was just happy to get out of jail and to be heading back home and that he couldn't wait to get out of Utah. So he's looking, by all accounts, for people who got to see him, people that I guess you would trust, they say that he was looking forward to going back to Florida. Yes, because Utah is really hard for him because he... Because he has a reputation here, so he wanted to get back away from it. I can understand that. Where does the case sit right now, Stormy? As of June 6th, June 7th, 2017. It is considered a cold case. And And our detective is a homicide slash cold case detective. But once again, this is somebody who is in Nashville and not in Key West, not even in the state of Florida. That is right. Okay. Stormy, I ask every one of my guests the same exact question, so I'm going to ask you as well. Stormy, what do you think happened to your brother, Brandon? I I personally think that he met some sort of demise. Um, whether that's um, he lipped off to somebody, especially if he had a couple beers or some alcohol, sometimes his mouth would just, he would just say stuff. And either that happened 
and he got lippy with the wrong person or he had an epileptic seizure, wandered off somewhere and got hurt, um, that he made it back to Florida and something happened there. Um, And I don't know, there's a part of me that has always went back to the ocean. I don't know why, but I always feel like that's where he is. You you sent me an email that something that was, you know, I don't want to make of it and I'm not much into the supernatural or anything like that. Maybe you can explain to the listeners what happened while you were uh, doing some research on the internet had to do with GPS and Google Maps. Can you explain yes. that to them? Yes. Um, and I'm not one to like be into like that either. Um, but I was doing research on Charles and um, just wanting to find out more about him and everything because he hadn't been sending any of the stuff back. And I just wanted to see like, where my brother supposedly had been living. So I was looking on Google Maps and just trying to like figure out how the distance from where we thought he got off in Atlanta to to floor to Key West, how how long of a distance that was, all of that stuff. And I walked away from my computer and when I had left my computer, it was on Charles's address. And then when I got back to my computer, my cursor was moving and it stopped right in the right in like a golf area in Key West with a GPS location. And I and I hadn't moved or touched my mouse at all. It just kept moving and moving and moving and moving. And then it stopped at a certain GPS location. And it was I don't know how many several miles offshore of Key West. Yes. All right. Well, I'm not one to believe in that stuff either, but I know many, many of my listeners, you know, that kind of do believe in those things and they need to hear a story. I think once in a while, like that's something that's uh, very mysterious uh, like that. And, And the listeners should know that I share the same concerns that Stormy does uh, about what could have maybe happened in Nashville, but also open to the possibility, given Charles' behavior, what some of these other, and what this other guy has said, that maybe some, maybe it is that Brand did eventually get to Key West. Um, for the listeners, Stormy, why don't you tell them uh, about the website, about the Facebook page, anywhere that uh, they can find you and any more information uh, about your brother and his disappearance. Yes, I I created a Facebook page called Find Brandon Williams, and you can find that at facebook.com slash findbrandon. And then I also created a, a website that's just www.findbrandonwilliams.weebly.com. And that has our missing persons flyer, it has a video that I put together, it has some like thoughts from his sister, which is me. It has a lot of different aspects of our search. And they can also email us at findbrandonwilliams at outlook.com. 
Stormy, to my knowledge, and I don't know most of the ages of my guests, but I believe you are the youngest uh, person to appear on Unfound uh, so far. And I've been really impressed with our conversations and everything that you've done. But And we're going to talk to your mother here in a moment, but what has this been like for you? It's been hard for me, um, but I've had to learn how to kind of like not push it to the back of my head, but I've had to continue living. I I have to work. I still have to do everything that an adult, a young adult has to do to survive. But in my free time that I'm able to, I spend my time searching for more clues, um, trying to contact people that will post my brother's poster somewhere. Um, I'm making videos. I'm trying to get his word, the word out there. And I also spend at least one, a few hours a month going through the NAMIS unidentified body uh, count. And I go through all of their John Doe's to see if any new information has come up. And not just maybe. not just in Nashville, Tennessee, or the state of Tennessee, but in every state. Yes, I, I checked the whole entire John Doe database from the time he disappeared to now. So that's four years worth of John Doe's that I go through at least once a month, because they are constantly updating information, even from John Doe's from four years ago. Yeah, they put information in. Unfortunately, people are unidentified. People are being found all the time. It's, it's, it's really sad. It really is. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, especially the one John Doe. He's still on there that we had tested to see if he was my brother. And it just breaks my heart because I know that he's someone's son and someone's brother, and they don't know where he is, and yet he's been found but he has no name. Stormy, any last words um, before uh, I let you go and uh, have your uh, mother on? I know that she wanted to make a statement as well. Yes. Um, I just want to thank you for just taking an interest in our case. Um, Not very many people, not very many people have taken an interest in our case and um, and have wanted to dig into all of the facts that we've been collecting for the last four years. So one, I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. And, and two, I just want to like just ask the listeners to please help us get my brother's case out there, trying to light on his missing person's case because someone out there knows something. A 32-year-old man can't just disappear without someone somewhere knowing something. And I just want closure one way or the other. If my brother is alive, I want to know where I want to know he's alive and that he's okay. But if he's gone, I want to know that he's gone and I want us to be able to uh, lay him to rest among other family members in the cemetery in the county we live in. I'm going to continue to try to do everything I can for you in that effort, Stormy. Thank you. And and they and your listeners can go onto our Facebook page and they can find any of the videos I've made. There's 
a couple videos that my that I've recorded of my mom talking and pleading with people so they can share those ones. We have the missing persons flyers that they can share on their Facebook pages or print out and share in their communities. And I'm sure the listeners are going to go to the website. They're going to go to your Facebook page. And um, I, are you already a part of our discussion group on Facebook? Or I, I don't know. We have so many members now. I can't keep track of all all the people. Are you a part of that as well, Stormy? Yes, I am. Okay, I, great. I just joined a couple of weeks ago. All right, great, great. And I think that you're going to get to know some really good people there who want to help you out. So that's good. Uh, Stormy, I deeply appreciate you uh, being on this episode of Unfound. I'm so impressed by the work that you're doing uh, for your brother and for your family. I now have on this episode Brandon's mother, Dee Dee. Dee Dee, welcome to Unfound. What would you like to say to my listeners and to anybody else who may come across this episode, whether it's this week, next week, next month? next year. What would you like to say? Well, first of all, um, my daughter Stormy, I have to, you know, say thank you to her because we wouldn't be this far in the case without her knowledge of the computer. I'm old school and so I can't even hardly work a face phone, <laughs> a smartphone, so it's quite hard for me and that's why she's kind of been pushed in the limelight because she knows all the electronics and stuff. Um I have learned this has been quite the trial in the journey for me. I've dealt with, you know, drug addiction with Brandon, and I've dealt with his dog attack, and I've dealt with so many sleepless nights about him. And when he left state, I was just worried sick because I was afraid something was going to happen to him. But you know, he was so apt to change his life and get off of meth and stuff that I, I guess I just welcomed the change and I, and I prayed and I just put him in God's hands and just said, go and just stay in touch and let, let me know that you're okay. And he's a creature of habit, my son, and he's so addicted to Facebook and talking to his friends and his family that when he's quit calling us and and nobody nobody especially spencer and stormy or me it it baffles me none of us have heard from him and the day that i got the call that um he didn't arrive i felt like somebody had kicked me in the stomach and it felt like this I was having a heart attack and that somebody was pulling my heart right out of my chest and remind you, I've been through a lot of stuff with Brandon and I've shed a lot of tears and a lot of sleepless nights over him, but I've never had anything affect me like this has. I've been in therapy for four years because I... My kids are all grown now, and I have a lot of time by myself because I'm disabled. And so I I look on Facebook a lot, I mean, on, on NAMIS, and I also, you know, check for the unidentified. My therapist has um, requested that I not do it so much because 
it's destroying me. I, they've got me on medication. I'm trying to deal with it. And I know it's only been four years and there's other people out there that have kids missing longer than me. And I, I have the sympathy for them, but we all deal with things differently. And this has affected, <clears throat> affected my health. It's put me in the hospital. Like I said, I I have to stay with a therapist. But on the other flip side of the coin, it's made me have a closer relationship with my Lord and and the faith that I have in him that he's going to see us through. I have a really, really, really hard feeling that Charles has did something to him. And as I look back now from the beginning, in the beginning, I'd never dealt with anything like this. And so it was like we were in a dark room filling around the walls trying to find the light and we couldn't find the light switch. And it's, we're just barely, so we were concentrating on trying to find him. But now that I, I see in hindsight and I can look back after things, I missed a lot of things. I always am a woman that goes with my gut instinct, and I didn't go with my gut instinct with Charles. I put a lot of faith in this man. I allowed him to trust him to put this missing report on Brandon in in Florida Keys, and he didn't. He, He broke his word, told me he'd give me just the simple stuff like his hairbrush or his tooth his toothbrush and he 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 won't and like Stormy said he was really very kind in the beginning but it seems like to me it was like within three weeks to a month that he started getting when I would talk to him I would call him have you heard anything have you heard anything and he started getting really mad before it was, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm praying, you know, I'll help you find your son. And then within a matter of a month or so, he started getting angry when we'd call. And then he'd say, well, you can't reach me because I'm out of town. And I'm going, wait a minute, you just told me that your roommate, quote unquote, is missing and you're going to Britain on a vacation? I mean, there's something wrong with this picture. I've I've talked to several of my family members and the puzzle pieces, and I'm not accusing anybody because Stormy has thrown a lot of different scenarios, which I agree, but it always seems to go back to Charles. And we've talked to different family members, and they've all had the same feeling that Charles knows something more than what he's saying. And I believe with all in my heart that the Hossie made it to Florida Keys. We just can't prove it. I had to deal I've had to deal with four um states, which has been very hard. I need the listeners to know that that if their children are older, how difficult it is to have the the police department to listen to you when a child is Oh, I think they even look for the 20 years old, but when, once they get the 30s, they've, they've looked at his record, you know, of drug abuse and, and they, and everything. And they just, 
have said, just let him go. You know, he just wants to have his own life, just let him be. And I find that very odd in society today that instead of trying to want to help these people, everybody's so willing and gun ho to put out these alarm, amber alerts. And I'm so for it, for for fighting for the children. But I mean, 32 years old, he's still somebody's child. And I think that the missing adults should have just as much importance as a child. You know, there's a big difference, but but yet at the same time, I think they're similar too, because they're both somebody's children. Whether whether Hossie Brandon is 36 now or not, he's still my baby boy, and I just I just want to know what happened to him. And that's that's what I want to say. All right, Dee Dee. Uh, I know that myself and my listeners are going to try to do everything that we can. Uh, this this program gets out to a lot of people. Uh, I think that you have a daughter who, uh, of course, is doing great work. I'm very, I've been she very is. impressed. I've been very impressed. Me too. And, and uh, like I, I had told you in a prior conversation that. You know, this disappearance has been, you know, four years ago. So, you know, all these witnesses and anybody the police need to talk to, you know, they're all still alive. A lot of information can still be collected. And I think that that's what you just have to keep doing, uh, keep doing. And, you know, and you have to rely on your faith that this, I... that this is going to come out the way you want. Please. Yeah, sure. What do you want to say? Sure. I just wanted to say something that I found Oh, so odd with Charles is when I had talked to an officer. Can I say his name? Well, that's fine. Let's we'll just leave uh, the names uh, names out of it. Just that's okay. fine, please. Okay, I I had this officer, and I had called and talked to him and told him my concerns about Charles, and I bugged him and bugged him and bugged him, and he finally started um, going out, and he told me that he left several cards on Charles's door saying, call us at the Key West Police Department or whatever the cards say. And there was nothing. He would never, I would call and say, well, have you got a hold of Charles? No, I was put a letter uh, card there today, but we haven't heard anything from him. And then about the third time, I finally said, don't you find this suspicious? I mean, if I come home and I had three different cards on my door saying notify the police department, I said, you dang right, I'd be down there wanting to know what the heck was going on and why the cops were leaving cards on my door. But this detective just blew it off. And then Charles had told me, you know, not to follow police report in Florida Keys because his best friend, whether it's true or not, like you said, but his best friend was the the chief of police in Florida Keys and, you know, that he was taking care of it. And so to your listeners, stick with your gut feeling. I mean, that's all I can say is stick with that gut feeling. If your gut's telling you something, then search it out till you prove it right or you prove it wrong because... 90% 90% of the time, your gut doesn't lie. I agree with that. I agree with that, Dee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else before we conclude nope, the interview? That's tonight? it. I that's... just I just want to thank you very much for, for taking this on. It's been a, 
a horrible four years and you know it's a journey and we're learning as we go and and I just thank you for finding us I don't know how we it's have my, a saying it's, is that uh to be frank it's my job to find people like you <laughs> so yeah. I, I I thank you very much you're welcome that's all I have to say you're welcome Danny. and that was my interview with Stormy Dorsey sister of Brandon Williams, with a closing statement by Brandon's mother, Dee Dee. I'll say it again, I'm deeply impressed with all the information that Stormy has collected, and she's so well organized with it as well. I knew when she told me something that she had the paperwork or a screenshot to back it up, and that is what's going to keep this case alive until Brandon is found. This case reminds me a lot of the disappearances of Lola Catherine Fry and Shannon Turner. Drugs were involved in both of those cases, along with the fact that each of these women were involved in relationships that could have led to violence. The difference in those may be it's somewhat clear what happened, although the police haven't been able to prove it. There are a couple more facts all of you should know about this case couple points that we didn't get into during the interview. As far as Charles goes, I discovered that he was at least at one time very good friends with Ted Turner. Yes, that Ted Turner. Sailing with him back in the 1970s. So it's easy to believe he actually is best friends with the chief of police in Key West, but I'll get back to that in a bit. As far as this guy Tom goes, he is also a prominent sailing person in Key West running in those upper-crust circles. As far as Spencer goes, I found this out actually after the interview. He actually sent Brandon the $50 while Brandon was on his way to Key West, not before Brandon left Utah, which was my original belief. And at no time did Brandon mention to Spencer getting any money from Charles, that being the $100 that Charles allegedly sent to Brandon before the bus trip started. So, did Brandon not mention the money from Charles because he didn't get it? Or because he was double-dipping from both Spencer and Charles? My impression is that Brandon would have told Spencer about the $100 from Charles, but you never know what somebody will do if they need money. So, it's just hard to say. However, it leaves open the door to the idea that Charles never sent any money to Brandon, thus making Charles look more suspicious than he already does. So, what happened to Brandon Williams? You should know that when I first got involved in this case, I didn't know anything about how he originally lived in Key West and then got sent back to Utah and then was on his way back to Florida. All I knew was that he was in Utah, got on a bus, somehow disappeared between Utah, and Key West. That's all I knew. So as you can tell, I've learned quite a bit about Brandon's disappearance in the last couple weeks, and really it's because Brandon's disappearance isn't that well known. But there's a piece of information that really isn't, I guess, directly connected to the disappearance that sticks out to me to be the most curious part of this whole story. And because it's so curious... I can't help but think that it actually is connected to his disappearance. It's just the connection hasn't been made yet. 
And it's a piece of the interview. We mentioned it between Stormy and myself. It's just you might have even forgotten it at the time, even though I commented on it at the time. It's a point that seems really, really odd. And I want you to know that I know this could easily be a case of Brandon's demons getting a hold of him on the way back to Key West. Maybe he went to get drugs somewhere with the money that he got from Charles and Spencer. Maybe he had an epileptic seizure that he's still unidentified in Nashville or some other city. Very, very possible. But the fact that sticks out to me the most and is the most odd is Brandon being shipped back to Utah on an eight-year-old drug charge for which he only served two months. I still can't believe that happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. We know that it did happen, and there is paperwork to show it. But I guess I'm just a little incredulous about that. Does anybody know if this is a common practice for states? By my estimation, Utah spent at least $1,000 to bring back a guy who only spent two months in jail. I wouldn't say that's the greatest use of taxpayer money, would you? Not to mention, it seems Brandon kept himself out of trouble over those eight years while that warrant was out there for his arrest. Because I couldn't find any charges against him in any of these other states that he lived, from California to Florida to New York. Nothing. So I'm going to ask you a very serious question. I'm totally serious about this. Was Brandon set up the day that he got pulled over in Key West? Could it be that Charles wanted Brandon to get caught and make sure the police would let Utah know about catching Brandon and insisting that this druggy Brandon be sent back to Utah? Remember, Charles was the one who said he is best friends with the police chief. Furthermore, he called Brandon his plaything, quote-unquote. And I'm also pretty sure that Charles knew that Brandon had an outstanding warrant. I'm sure it came up at least once in one of their conversations. As an example, flip this around. If Charles is such good friends with the police chief, why couldn't he make this pullover that Brandon got himself involved in go away? If he was such good friends with the police chief, why couldn't he say, you know, this friend of mine, Brandon, you know that he's going to get sent back to Utah, and I don't want that to happen. Can't we smooth this over some way? And I happen to believe that that could have happened, especially since the charge was eight years old, didn't have anything to do with burglary or violence or anything else. Maybe Charles didn't want to make it go away because, well, he didn't want to make it go away. Because there are a couple things to think about. There's no record that Charles and Brandon ever communicated while Brandon was in that Utah jail, despite what Charles says about sending him letters or calling him. No record of that. Nobody's ever seen these letters. Nothing. Furthermore, I'd like to know how Charles even knew Brandon was heading back to Key West. Because no one has come forward to say, oh yeah, Brandon called him. But nobody said that. And I'm sure it wasn't a case where Brandon hopped on a bus, got to Nashville, and said, Hey, Charles, I'm headed on my way back. 
I think this was been would have been something that Brandon and Charles would have worked out beforehand. And I also mentioned there's no record, no proof that Charles ever sent him any money. Are we sure that Brandon didn't show up back in Key West unannounced? Because the call from Nashville to Charles is totally hearsay. Charles has never offered any proof that that call happened. Could it be that Charles wanted to get rid of Brandon, not make him vanish from the earth necessarily, but since Charles Charles was in a serious relationship, Brandon was just his plaything, and he was just done playing with his thing. Why would he do this? Maybe Charles' serious partner found out about Brandon. And so Charles, being good friends with the police chief in Key West, called in a favor from the police department, thinking that once Brandon got shipped back to Utah on this eight-year-old drug charge, they would never see Brandon again. Just an easy way to get Brandon out of his life. Then Brandon shows up on Charles' doorstep that Monday morning, May 20th, 2013. I can't help but wonder. But I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to iTunes and give Unfound a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.